This is the reality. And a very special hello to you once again from me, Dudley Anderson. Welcome to The Reality. The Reality is a half an hour talk show talking about the reality of Jesus in our lives. If you've got a story to tell of the reality of Jesus that you'd like to share with me, please write to me by email dudley at surereality.net. Today on The Reality, we meet Robert Borelli. Robert was born in Brooklyn in the middle of the Gambino crime family neighborhood. As a young boy, he quickly built a reputation of being a little tough guy, and he soon began working for the Gambinos when he was aged 14. By 20, he had two murder raps and numerous arrests under his belt. He was being paraded around the neighborhood as the up-and-coming star of the feared Gambino family. He'd become a career criminal. However, eventually addicted to drugs and destitute, life seemed hopeless. It was in jail that Robert Borelli discovered truth faith and purpose and this one time i'm talking to my daughter and she's crying so i said brianna why are you crying she said of course you won't come and see me and my heart just broke to pieces and i just was crying and i slammed the phone down i didn't want the inmates to see me crying and i ran back to my cell and all i did was cry on my hands and knees and i said god if you're real either have somebody kill me or change me And uh, I just cried, uh, God, please help me, God, please help me. And I truly believe God answered the sincerity of my heart. We're talking to Robert Borelli today on The Reality, from Mafia to Ministry. Well, my pleasure today to speak to Robert Borelli right now on The Reality. Thank you so much, Robert, for joining us. You've got an amazing story to tell. I am not what I ought to be, I am not what I want to be, I am not what I hope to be, but still, I am not what I used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. A quote by John Newton, the author of that amazing song, Amazing Grace, which begins with the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's pretty much your story, Robert. Tell us your story. Well, you know, I I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. It was a pretty tough neighborhood. You know, later on in life, as I grew up a little bit, I started hanging out in social clothes with guys that were like kind of ran the neighborhood, you know, protected the neighborhood. Didn't know much about them other than that they were the guys that got a lot of respect and, uh, you know, everybody looked up to. And uh, I gravitated towards them and started doing little errands for them. As I got a little bit older, I realized that this was part of the Gambino crime family, and uh, it's been in my neighborhood for a long period of time, and uh, just grew up, and they became kind of like my family in a sense. I would leave my house and go and run to the social club and shoot pool with them, and then if they had a card game or something like that, they would make me go get sandwiches for the people that were playing uh, cards so they didn't get up from the table and slow down the card game and and that's just how i i, I did it and then i uh, later on in life i um ran into uh in queens i ran into one of the mobster guys that was one of the big bosses in my neighborhood i ran into his son and started hanging out with him uh and then he would bring me his father would have a spread like a, a banquet every friday night hmm. with all the wise all the guys from the neighborhood paying homage to him and respect and honor to him and they would come for a dinner and uh, i would go with his son and i would sit down with these guys and uh, 
I don't know, I guess you could say uh, really uh, gave me a, a big boast of this is like what I wanted to be part of growing up. And uh, that's kind of the lifestyle that I got involved with. So I got involved with the Gambino crime family at an early age. Wow. And uh, did a lot of things that they asked me to do. And one guy um, who was schooling me in it, he, he you know said a couple of things to me to teach me about that lifestyle. And he said well, a couple of things that I remember was one thing he said was, he said, never let nobody know what you're thinking or how you feel. Mm-hmm. He said, because they'll always use that against you. Mm-hmm. And he said, whenever we ask you to do something, you never ask why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Just do what we ask you to do. So that stood with me for a long period of time. And I lived that kind of lifestyle. And then uh, eventually the drug business came in. And I remember this one guy was... Uh, shooting a dice game that we had in back of one of the storefronts that we had and the uh, guy lost a lot of money and he had asked that he they send me out to his car to get a bag that was in the back seat of his car and mm. he gave me the keys and it was a brand new Jaguar mm. I mean beautiful Jaguar you know this is back in the 70s and there was a, a brown paper bag and I got the bag out of his car and brought it to him and it was just more money mm. And I seen a lot of guys. I, I mean, I was a gambler too. If I lost a couple of dollars, I'd be very upset. But this guy lost a lot of money. It didn't seem to phase him too much. At least he didn't display that hmm. uh, in his uh, facial expressions or, or, you know, through his mannerisms. And uh, after he was done, I don't remember if he won his money back or lost it all. I'm not sure about that. But I asked my friends, you know, what is this? This does this guy do that he could lose that kind of money? It doesn't bother him that much. And they said he was one of the biggest drug dealers in Harlem. And um, I said, okay, now I know a lot of money gets you a lot of friends and it gets you a lot of power. And that that was the avenue I tried to take. And so I started uh, in the drug business. And then the drug business eventually got involved with all of my businesses. And before you know it, Crackle came into my life and I was completely homeless in 1996. And all my friends who were my good friends had to, you know, my concern was <clears throat> that was an embarrassment to them because they would bring me around and parade me around like the up and coming star. They gave me no crime family. You know, one of the things that happened back in, early in the in 1970. I believe it was in 73 that somebody got killed and I was wanted for it. Mm-hmm. And my friend's dad hid me out. And uh, at the age of 20 years old, I was arrested for uh, possession of a weapon and two murders. And I did the right thing, stayed incarcerated, beat the case on trial. But that just gave me a bigger head and people giving me a lot of respect because of that, uh, doing the right thing according to the mob rules. And I, I guess you could say I became a legend in my own mind, in a sense. And the problem with that is now I have to convince everybody else that I'm a legend in their mind. Mm-hmm. So, And the way I had to do that was either through spending a lot of money or violence. And that's how I lived most of my life until the drugs came in and brought me to my knees. Mm-hmm. That's really quite an amazing life, uh, Robert. So as, as a youngster in, in, in your home, uh, what was your home life like before before this unfolded? Well, my, my mom and dad were legitimate people. You know, my mom at one time was a stay-home mom, and then when things got a little tough, she had to go out and work a little bit. But they were legitimate. Uh, and a lot of people in my neighborhood were legitimate, except for these few people that 
had social clubs and and I'm telling you everybody respected these guys so I didn't want to be like my mom and dad because most of the struggles were financial how they're going to pay for five children to go to school put food on the table dress them and stuff like that so about some of the arguments in my home was in you know my family life was uh, about finances and that's not the kind of life that I wanted to live I wanted to be with these guys who got all the respect had nice clothes, money in their pocket, and I was just fascinated by that lifestyle at an early age. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about the mafioso lifestyle, as you've well described, you know, it's uh, drugs, it's money, but it's it's organized crime, Robert. Uh, you know, where I sit uh, in my little um, sheltered life, I, you know, I, I've got no idea what it's really like out there. Uh, organized crime. You know, we often watch these films on television and on the big screen where the, the organized crime guys are just, you know, so powerful, as you've described, that uh, they're beyond the law. You know, is it is it really like that in that world? Well, well, part of it is the the part that they don't show you on TV uh, is the consequences to that lifestyle, you know. So there are consequences to it, you know. Prison time away from your family, sometimes getting killed because there was a disrespect going on from one family to another family or from one member to another family. So they don't show you the behind the scenes kind of thing. They just show you like if you take the movie uh, Goodfellas, Hmm. which um, I can relate to really good because they were people from my neighborhood. I knew a lot about those gentlemen that was portrayed in that movie. Um, And uh, that was kind of like the lifestyle. But, you know, you got to remember that uh, in that movie, people are getting killed afterwards and all that so they don't show you that too much but goodfellas in my opinion was one of the better movies more realistic movies to watch Mm. as far as organized crime was concerned Mm. uh Mm. so yeah but in the beginning it looks really glamorous and i fell for that myself but the other thing is uh you know we often see these these youngsters like you were getting involved in 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 the families um and once you're in you know in the films we see once you're in you just can't get out um is, can you, you know, is it, are you able to escape that lifestyle? You did eventually, but when you were in it, did you feel like you were, you know, uh, held there? You were confined there? No, not, not, not so much that because I wasn't a made member; I was a, only an associate. So if you're a made member, then you got had a lot more restrictions to it. Uh, but I was just an associate. So, and because of my last name was not Italian, I didn't have an Italian dad. I could not become a member. I would always have been an associate, um, just like in the movie Goodfellas with Jimmy Burke. Hmm. He couldn't get strained out because he was Irish. Well, my was I was part German, so uh, that would. But that yeah, that that did, uh, did not really apply to me so much, uh, to be honest with you. Hmm. But the way that I went about it was when I got locked up in 1997. Uh, you know, I turned on everybody, just like everybody turned on me. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So you got involved uh, with drugs. Did you get addicted to drugs at all? The the last 10 years before 1997, I say from the late 80s to 1997, uh, before Two Angels came and rescued me, uh, I was caught up in, in the drugs. I would get clean and go back around the guys, and before you know it, I was back on drugs again. Every time I got everything back, I had a, a way of, this, the, I guess I was a self-destructive kind of personality I had that every time I got everything back with the guys and got a good standing with them, I ran to the drugs all over again. So thinking I was okay. 
1996, I was completely homeless. In 1997, like I said, two angels came and rescued me. They were warrant officers, placed me, in, uh, incarcerated me, and uh, I call them my angels. The last time I had a drink and a drug was 1997. Oh, oh that's amazing, amazing. Uh, and, and so that's actually how God rescued you. So during your childhood and perhaps uh, you know this early part of your life, um, Ultimately, uh, Robert, you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He changed your life. But during this old life that you were living, what was your concept of God? Did you pray? Did you believe in God? Well, you know, I was raised, and nothing against Roman Catholics. This is just my personal thing. I was raised Roman Catholic. You know, you did the church thing, you know, when I was younger, when I got a little bit older. I didn't. My concept was, and, and, and this is just my concept of it, was, okay, God is up there, I'm down here, and someday we'll get together and we'll have a powwow. That's how <laughs> I looked at it. Absolutely. That's amazing. So money, crime, drugs, and power consumed you, uh, and then you ended up in a prison. Um, and, and your life was awry. You were on the streets, and uh, things were just not working out for you. But God had a plan for you and a purpose for you. Robert, we're going to take a little break. When I come back, I want to ask you how Jesus stepped into your life. You're listening to The Reality, produced by Sure Reality. Listen again at surereality.net. This is a listener-supported radio ministry, and we depend on you, the listener, to help us produce these programs, touching lives around the world. To become a vision partner of Sure Reality, go to surereality.net and click on Become a Vision Partner. That is, become a vision partner at surreality.net. If you've just joined us, perhaps you clicked on in on the internet. It's really good to have your company wherever you're listening in from. My name's Dudley Anderson, and we're together sharing the reality, a half-hour talk show talking about the reality of Jesus for our lives. This program can be heard once again at the website surreality.net. Please listen to our podcast at surreality.net. Well, today on The Reality, we're talking to Robert Borelli, from Mafia to Ministry. Robert grew up in a nominal Catholic home. Though he believed in God, he had no real understanding of who God was. As a youngster, Robert yearned for money, power, and respect. Growing up in the middle of the Gambino family neighborhood in New York City, he soon became influenced by their lifestyle. Though not born into the family, Robert earned an associate status and soon became part of their organized crime regime. Sadly, however, being a drug runner and a drug pusher, he became addicted to drugs himself. Soon, Robert found himself dejected and homeless. In 1997, God sent two warrant officers into his life, who he calls his angels. They arrested him and eventually became incarcerated in prison. Here, Robert became free of his drug addiction. Let's find out more. Well, speaking to Robert Borelli today on The Reality, and we've just heard how Robert has shared uh, some of his old life. He ended up in prison, Robert, and I believe it was in prison where God stepped into your life. Tell us how that happened. Well, you know, I, I, and like I said, 1997, I got arrested by what I still call them today, my two angels. Mm. They were warrant officers. They placed me in Rikers Island. I was wanted by the FBI in a case from 1995 in Florida, uh, Miami-Dade County, Florida. And then I was also wanted for a drug case uh, uh, in uh, Queens County, New York. 
And then, of course, I was running away from all that there, and these warrant officers finally caught up with me, placed me in Rikers Island. Before that, there, you know, my daughter was born in 1993. Seven weeks after she came home, I uh, cleaned myself up, and seven weeks after she came home, uh, I went out to get high one more time. I had an argument with her mother, and that was the last time I was able to see my daughter for a period of time because I got caught up with the drugs all over again, mm-hmm. and... Uh, it consumed me in the point where I didn't go back home or no, nor was I wanted back home or with my daughter's mother. Uh, so now I'm in Rikers Island and you know, there's always two things. I've been in and out of prison a lot in my life. There's two main things that I always function on when I'm in prison. Uh, as you know, wanting for cases. I have to get a good attorney to get me out of the mess I got myself into. And then I know I'm not going to get bailed out anymore because they're not going to give me a bill because I was already ran away from the bills that I had. Um, I needed to get money in my commissary so I could live as comfortable as I can while I'm incarcerated. So I'm calling up a lot of people, old friends maybe that maybe I felt owed me a favor and um, asking them for commissary money and or money for an attorney because I didn't have none because I was strung out on crack cocaine at that point in time hmm. uh, when I did get arrested. And this one girl, I remember she said to me, why don't you just go read your Bible? And I'm thinking that's just another way of just brushing me off is I'm not going to help you. Uh, but then my daughter's mom was allowing me to call my daughter over the phone. And this one time I'm talking to my daughter and she's crying. And uh, her name is Brianna. So I said, Brianna, why are you crying? She said, because you won't come and see me. Mm-hmm. And there was for like a year and a half, two years that I didn't go see my daughter. And the reality of all that now, if I could have ran and got medicated with drugs or alcohol, I probably would have did that, but I, that was not available to me at that point in time, being incarcerated, and my heart just broke to pieces, and I just was crying, and I slammed the phone down. I didn't want the inmates to see me crying, and I ran back to my cell. Now, like I said, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I knew about God, but I didn't know God. Hmm. And all I did was cry on my hands and knees, and I said, God, if you're real, either have somebody kill me or change me. I don't want to live like this anymore. And I was really thinking more of a suicidal thing, but I didn't have the nerve to do that to myself. But I figured in Rikers Island, anybody could kill you at any time. And uh, I just cried, "Uh, God, please help me. God, please help me. And I truly believe at this point in time in my life that I could look back then and see God answer the sincerity of my heart that I was crying, asking for him to help me. And I believe he came into my life at that point in time and started changing. So did you, 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 you prayed that prayer. Did you feel an instant change or was it a gradual change? It was a gradual change. I didn't know how that was going to manifest itself. I, I had no idea how that was going to work out. But, you know, I had a lot of Robert Ludlum books. Those are books, espionage books that I like to read. And I would read a little bit of the Bible. Remember what that girl said? So I get the Bible and I read a little bit, but I love my Robert Ludlum books. <laughs> but I felt something inside me saying, you need to get rid of those books and read more of this book. Uh-huh. And I just, at one point in time, I wouldn't read anything but the Bible. I won't watch anything on TV. But then the government came into my life and gave me an offer that I didn't refuse. And that was if I cooperated with them, that they would place me in a witness protection program. I could start life all over again. 
And in my mind, I'm thinking about my daughter. I'm thinking about her mom. And I'm thinking maybe we could all get a new start all over again, different location and stuff like that is what I was thinking. And get me out of the mess of doing a lot of time. So it was really uh, a self-motivated thing. But I think God had a different plan for my life at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So what about all the old friends, you know, the the mobsters, the guys that you used to hang out with? Um, What was their reaction in the change of your life? Well, they weren't happy with the part that I was willing to, you know, work with the government and testify (laughs) against people. So they weren't happy about that. And I don't think that they accept the fact of how I changed my life by because of uh, I, I think in one maybe in, in some of them they're like kind of maybe a little happy that I'm not on drugs anymore, but I don't think that that would uh, change their mind about me being a rat and giving up information on these guys. So I, I think there might be a love hate relationship involved there. Mm. Do you ever get a chance to speak to them to witness to them? Some of them I do, but a lot of them don't want them to know I'm doing it, so I don't reveal much about that. Mm. Uh, some of them, they're what we call undercover guys. <laughs> They'll call me up and yeah. say, don't let anybody know I'm talking to you. <laughs> I talk with them. And, and every now and then I go into the neighborhood. Well, not the neighborhood, but I go into New York to see my daughter and and my some of my family. I'll sneak in. And, and there are a couple of those guys that come and meet with me. And, and of course... I am, it's who I am determines on what I do. And because I'm a child of God, I have to brag on my Holy Father. So Mm. I always talk about Jesus. Fantastic. That's incredible. Uh, You know, uh, I quoted uh, uh, John Newton earlier, and uh, he was a slave trader. He was was in the mob, so to speak, in those days. To, uh, and, And he was saved by the grace of God. You know, I always say, Robert, grace is God's doing. God did it when he sent Jesus to die for us and he took our place and all the the mess and the sin and the bad stuff of your life was put on Jesus on the cross. That's what the Bible tells us. And that's the grace of God. What does the grace of God mean for you? I look at the cross and I see an exchange that took place. He took on my sins and gave me his righteousness and parted his righteousness to me. So I embrace the change that he's done for me. I embrace the fact that he sacrificed himself so I didn't have to pay the wages of sin in my life. I embrace the fact that I am redeemed. I am rescued, redeemed, and restored into a relationship with my Heavenly Father, which he designed before the foundations of the world. So his grace is I don't deserve it, and that's what's so good about grace, because grace is God giving me what I don't deserve, and his mercy is uh, not giving me what I do deserve. So that's that's how I look at it. That's the grace of God. Amazing stuff. And grace is God's doing, and he's still doing it in your life today because God's grace is what empowers you to go on and do what God's called you to do. Uh, And uh, I quote you as saying, uh, you've decided to do right instead of wrong, love instead of hate, and to serve instead of take. What are you doing with your life today? Well, today I, I have a ministry called robertborelli.com. You can go to that ministry, to Robert Borelli Ministries. Uh, and what I do is go around sharing my testimony, speaking into lives. I go into camps when I'm uh, uh, you know, invited to, and I speak to the young kids. And I try to tell them about choices that they don't have to get what I have today and go through, but go through what I went through. So I try to make them make wise choices. You know, the the, the word, I, I don't know if it's in the Bible so much, but I know wisdom is used a lot. And one of the things that I, I recollect in my head, it says that 
a smart, a smart person learns from his mistakes, but a wise person learns from somebody else's mistake. <laughs> so I try to teach those kids to be wise. They don't have to be smart and learn from their mistakes, but they could be wise and learn from the mistakes that I made, that they don't have to make the choices that I made. So I try to do that as best I can, uh, share my testimony, bring a message of hope to people who felt that, feel they're hopeless or in a sense helpless that boy god nobody is hopeless as long as you have a breath in your body uh, it's never too late for a new beginning in life is the, the theme that i try to share i have a ministry also in africa and kenya and i go and help over there i go there every six years i go back there to see how everything's going how the kids are homeless kids and we support them uh on a month on a yearly basis and I deal with a lot of uh, uh, so, uh, uh, celebrate recoveries and addictions, and I, and I go around speaking it to them that uh, they don't have to stay that way. Like I said, it's never too late for a new beginning, and that uh, what God has done for me, he already did for them. All they have to do is embrace it. Fantastic. So perhaps, just perhaps, uh, Robbie, there's somebody listening in today. Perhaps they've clicked on in on the internet, a young lad who's, um, you know, He's been checking the scene out, and he's got some mates in the, some friends in the in in the mobs, and he's thinking, mm, I could, you know, I could get into that uh, money power. What's your word to him today? What good is a person gains the world but loses their soul, man? Eternity perspective is what I te- what is, is how I live my life. There's best ability that I can possibly live my life. And what I would say to them is don't fall into the trap of the devil, man. Um, all those things appear glamorous. They appear good, but there's always consequences to that. And the main consequence, I mean, you have the law of the land, which there's consequences, prison, debt, addictions, all that stuff that's destroyed. You know, I remember what, what John 10.10 says is what I would tell people. is the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Mm-hmm. But Christ came to give us life and an abundant life. And I want people to have that abundant life. And God has made it available to each and every one of them. They don't have to fall into the trap. Fantastic. Robert Borelli, it's been fantastic speaking to you today. We wish you all the best. And God will open up more and more opportunity for you to share this amazing story. Thank you for joining us on The Reality. Thank you. Bless you. Well, today on The Reality, we've been speaking to Robert Borelli. If you'd like to know more about Robert and his life at work and ministry, please visit the website robertborelli.com. That is robertborelli.com. Well, it's really been amazing talking to Robert. What an incredible story. You know, as I was talking to Robert, I began to think a little bit about peace. We're always looking for peace. And some of us look for peace in solitude and quietness. Some of us look for peace in money and fame and fortune and power. Thinking that if we have these things in life, we will have peace. Well, this is what Jesus said about the peace of the world. He said in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, the peace that Jesus gives us isn't the kind of peace that we get from the world, isn't the kind of peace or happiness, dare I say, that we get from money or fame or power in life. The peace that God gives us is an inner peace, a peace within circumstance, a peace that transcends all difficulty and anxiety and problem in life. 
I encourage you today, as perhaps you've been listening to this program, to seek that peace. If that's you, I'd like to first of all encourage you to pray and simply say, Dear God Almighty, you are the Lord of peace. I ask you to come into my life as I repent of my sins and give my life to you. A simple prayer like that, call upon the name of the Lord. Secondly, I'd like to invite you to drop me a note by email. I'd love to chat with you. Email me dudley at surereality.net. Dudley at surereality.net. Well, The Reality is produced by Sure Reality, a listener-supported radio ministry. It's with your prayers and financial support that we produce these radio programs. Please consider partnering with us at the website surereality.net. Thank you so much for your company. Till next time, from me, Dudley Anderson, keep your eyes on Jesus. God bless. 